listening to a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network production. Welcome to Run It Again. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz. Now, don't forget to visit us on runitagainpodcast.com and make sure you hit that subscribe button. Coming up, the opening of NFL training camps as their unique challenge with COVID-19 continues. Plus, several high-risk social scenes that the NFL says players should avoid at all costs if they want to get paid. It's time to turn that mic around and hear from our listeners. Have a question for me or Coach Martz? We'll answer it for you on the next episode of Run It Again. Just send us an email at runitagainpod at gmail.com or leave a comment on social media at runitagainpod. Be sure and tune in every Tuesday for a new episode and a chance to hear your questions answered. You're listening to a Benstown and McBay Media Podcast Network production. We'll be back right after this message. There are families that will go hungry tonight. Every day, people who have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. The need is greater than ever before, and your neighbors need your help. Donate today to support communities facing hunger during this time of uncertainty. Every dollar you give can provide at least 10 meals to children and families in need through the Feeding America Network of Food Banks. Please make a donation today at feedingamerica.org. Thank you. Get ready for the Run It Again podcast. Huddle up, huddle up. Every week, you'll be hearing stories that take you beyond the daily sports grind with unique insight from former NFL star and broadcaster Ron Pitts. Just feels like the college football season discussion gets more and more complicated. And the mastermind behind the greatest show on earth, Super Bowl winning coach Mike Martz. I do think professional sports has such an impact on the American psyche that I think everybody's going to want to try and get this up and running in some version of it. We'll connect you directly to the source and tell you what's really going on. The biggest issue is, and I think this is important, is they're not exposed to family either. Oh boy, that's going to be interesting. With conversations and tales from guys on the inside. So click the button to subscribe for free and you'll get episodes sent straight to your phone every week. It's Run It Again. Welcome to Run It Again. Now, here's Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz. Hey, Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great. Man, how's life up there in uh, Idaho? Still still sunshining, right? It's still sunshine, getting warmer as we speak. As a matter of fact, I, I played golf yesterday at uh, 4 o'clock, so it's still sunlight until 10. Man, you 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 are Mr. Golf. I tell you, <laughs> you keep you keep extending that invitation for me, and I'm going to have to take you up on it, especially now since my 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 sons are golfing. Okay, you know they don't have much to do; they can't really go into the facilities and train. Well, they got to find so, something they can beat you at. <laughs> yeah, right. We we know what happens when we take them up to the sport court. There, man, I start raining them threes; it gets ugly. That, anyway. that. Anyway, listen, uh, I, br- I brought a friend along, man, uh, somebody you know, and uh, I, I think I've been threatening to have him on last couple weeks here, but uh, we, we, we've finally been able to do it. And ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Solomon Wilcots is in the building. Can you give him a round of applause? That's, there there nice. it is. Right. <laughs> Solly, Thank how you. you doing, man? Hey, Solly. Good, good hey, to hear coach. your voice again. Uh, Coach, and great to be on with you and great to be on with Ron as well. And uh, it's good to hang out with, with you guys. And uh, so thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, you know, Mike and I, we've been doing this. Let me see what about, I don't know, 
what are we with 13 shows 12 shows Mike right. I, I, I dragged yeah. Mike into this Sally and you know I, you, when you, you know when you you got guys around you that know know the game it just it just makes you look so good and and that's what Mike's <laughs> doing for me I, I don't have to yeah, do much right. so. <laughs> I'm like hey I'm like I'm like a corner with great great pass rush Sally and, yeah. and, and Mike you know you know when Ron when Ron Pitts does something he doesn't do anything small and he no. does it with with great intensity with great sense of purpose so you know that you got to bring it right when you're hanging out with him and you know you can't go halfway into anything when you're hanging yep. out with Ron Pitts yeah, Ryan's got Ryan's got two buttons stop and go you hit that there go button go. it's all out. That's oh right. man you guys are too kind well uh Sally and I, I believe we first met at Fox Sports Net, like felt like a hundred years ago. And our our executive producer Roy Hamilton uh, was producing then. And what show did did he did you start on there, Sally? Well, I, yeah, no, we were doing the college football the col- uh, pregame what, right. show. Yeah, with Kevin okay. Frazier, and it was all the guys, wow. and, and Roy was the leader. And I remember he brought me out for an audition, and he said, "Hey." You're my guy. You've got to show these other guys that you're the guy. So I'm right. going to put you through this. And, man, it was maybe 20 guys, 20 NFL guys came in to audition for that role. Kevin Frazier, of course, he didn't have to audition. He was the man right away. And But it all worked out. And, you know, again, you know, when, when Roy Hamilton anoints you, you know that you have arrived. And he gave me a great opportunity and pretty much launched my career um, at the national level, and uh, that that was a tremendous opportunity for me. That's awesome. You know what? You know what, Mike? I, this is the first broadcaster I ever seen be involved in a trade. He he was working for ESPN doing sideline, and I think they actually traded him for Mark May, who was where was Mark at? Was he at CBS, Sally? He was at CBS working with Ian Eagle uh, yeah. in, in the broadcast booth. Yeah. So Sally went from the sideline. Up to the booth, and then nice. Mark went into. Did he? I think he went to the studio. Something. Yeah, he like went that. to the yeah. studio, and he was doing college football there for for ESPN. So, it, yeah. it it all worked out for Mark. It worked out for me, and uh, you know how that goes, Coach. Right? You you got to find the players, and when you get the players, they've got to be able to perform, and that's kind of how it worked out. Yeah, one man's diamonds, another man's stone, so to speak. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Hey, uh, before we get into uh, the business of NFL training camps and so on and so forth, Pro Football Focus, that's your company. Uh, you're working alongside Chris Collingsworth, the Chris Collingsworth, there in Cincinnati. And this uh, this isn't just your, your typical numbers-crunching statistical outfit, is it? No, at Pro Football Focus, uh, basically, we grade every player on every play. Um, You say, well, how is that done? It's because we have a legion of former coaches all around the country. Some are even over in the U.K., and they they have access to the tape, and they're grading the players. You have coaches um, uh, who have have coached in college football. Some have coached in the NFL – some know the offensive line very well. Some know the secondary very well. Some know the quarterbacks. In fact, former um, quarterback Bruce Gretkowski sort of heads up our grading mm-hmm. of the quarterback position. And so when you can grade every play on every play, you can come away with a pretty good snapshot for how they're playing down in and down out. And, uh, and so we, as we would say this in the television industry, 
We don't leave anything on the cutting room floor. Every single play is accounted for and goes into the evaluation process. Hmm. Give me an example of something I would see from you guys that I wouldn't see from quote unquote next gen stats or any other of the feels like thousands of statistical companies out there. Well, I think coach would like this one because you know, he's had to evaluate quarterbacks always, right? You, you're out there, you're trying to figure out, you got three or four of these college quarterbacks, you got to draft one or three or four at the pro level. You got to mm-hmm. sign one in the off season during free agency. And so you're going to look at all the tape, right? And, but more importantly is sometimes it's some of the plays that aren't factored into that evaluation process. And we call it turnover worthy plays. And so if you are evaluating three or four different guys and they're Numbers kind of look the same. The tape kind of looked the same in terms of accuracy. And, and what if you had this category that tracked how many times you threw it to the defensive back, but the defensive back actually dropped it? Normally, that doesn't show up anywhere in the box score. It doesn't show anywhere in, on the stat sheet. Um, if the quarterback fumbles and his offensive lineman recovers it, it may show as a fumble, but not as a turnover, Right. And so you want to know that, okay, this quarterback, while he may have had four interceptions, zero turnover-worthy plays, this other quarterback may have had four touchdowns, four turnover-worthy plays, well, that really negates his ability to get the ball into the end zone when he's also producing plays that could have resulted into a turnover. In terms of his performance, did um, equate to a a play that really yielded a negative grade, except that the defense didn't capitalize off of. They weren't able to recover that fumble in the end zone, or I should say in the backfield, or the defensive back didn't catch that potential interception. So this turnover-worthy play category is just maybe one of many um, statistical categories or metrics that we will use to measure a quarterback's performance. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, that's um, that's nice. I like that. That's that's uh, gives you a different perspective on these guys that you would only know if you just kept looking at it over and over again in terms of the tape. But yeah, you wouldn't get you wouldn't get that through just scanning numbers. Right. That's right. You wouldn't get that because typically it's not tracked. and, And so it's sort of lost in in the evaluation process. And coach, here's the deal. In our database, so if you were looking through our database and you would go to turnover-worthy plays, the numbers would all be there. But what if I told you you could actually click on the number and say if that quarterback, say, for instance, Jameis Winston this year, remember, everybody knows he had the 30 touchdowns and 30 uh, 30 interceptions, right? But he had 40 turnover-worthy plays. That's not often talked about. So if if you went and clicked on, in our database, you clicked on the number 40 under turnover-worthy plays, all 40 of those plays would show up. And so we we have a deal with Exos, right? So Exos, they provide the video. So you could click on that number 40 under turnover-worthy plays, and all 40 of those plays would show up. And now you can watch them. So the cut-ups are already done for you, Coach. Oh, wow. this, this, This database... It saves the coaches so much time. So if you know how it is, coach could tell you this, Ron. Mm-hmm. They spend so much time pouring through data, pouring through, putting together cut-ups, evaluating themselves as well as evaluating the opponent. 
um, and then in the offseason, sort of breaking everything down even further. And then they're having to evaluate players. Well, if you have a database like what we provide, it gives you back time. And now you can go into a game and coach can call his plays without being sleep deprived, okay? <laughs> right, exactly. And he, can, and he can tell you how important that is. Yeah, no question. <laughs> no question. Mike, how, now how, how different is that from how you used to prepare from a game starting, okay, starting two weeks prior to the game with your advanced scouting all the way up till that hellacious Tuesday install and prep day right to game time? Well, you know, being able to get to those cut-ups like that immediately is invaluable. Um, all the different categories, you can create yourself in the computer to pull some of that up, but you have got to put that information in there, and that takes a great deal of time. They've already done all that, so the, yeah. you know, and, that, and that's what he's talking about. So one of the categories I'd really be interested in would be, you know, in terms of evaluating quarterbacks or unusually – high-level throws, you know, um, unusual plays that the normal guy can't make. You know, do you have a category like that, uh, you know, with the quarterbacks, when, especially in college, you know, guys, you know, throws under – big plays under duress type of things because that really kind of separates guys a little bit. And that's that's hard to sort through a lot of tape to look for. You know what I mean? Yeah, Coach. We So, for instance – we have all these different filters. And so one of the most stable metrics for being able to grade a quarterback and how they're going to perform, if what if I said, okay, the quarterback um, is going to throw in rhythm from a clean pocket. Ron, not, Coach could tell you right now. Not interested. <laughs> yeah. But, if he, right. but, but what if that quarterback didn't perform well in that in that instance? You would automatically know. This guy can't play for me. Am right. I right? Exactly, because yeah. you, you expect a quarterback when it when he's in rhythm from a clean pocket to perform at a very high level. And so yeah. if you're a guy that's throwing it a little bit behind the receiver, throwing one hoppers, throw, if you have an inordinary amount of inaccurate throws under what we call an ideal condition, meaning in rhythm, in a clean pocket, then he coach automatically knows if that number isn't a good number, I can move on. I'm not right. going to waste any time. I don't need to see any more. So now yeah. what coach is saying that we start, we have filters that would maybe add a degree of difficulty. Okay. So what if you're okay? We now have the filter that shows what is he doing when under pressure? Okay. What is his accuracy rate when under pressure? I'll give you an example. Um, Joe Burrow, during the 2019 season, he played seven times against a top 10 rated defense in college football. He went through a murderer's row of teams in the SEC. And he had a 61% rate, uh, accuracy rate, okay, when throwing under pressure. Now, even some of the best guys, the Tom Brady's, the Drew Brees, their numbers are going to come down. I mean, that's just it. That's just if you're a quarterback and you got a guy hitting you in your ear hole, let's see you be 100% accuracy, you know, with, yeah. under those difficult circumstances. Mm -hmm. So those numbers are going to come down. That's just you're, you're human. But that's where guys also, the great ones, separate themselves in that area. And so Tom Brady, he's typically grading out much higher than some of the other guys. The Drew Breeses, because he gets it out really quick. He knows where the pressure's coming from. He's still going to deliver the ball with great accuracy. 
And so those guys are able to win games. The Aaron Rodgers, who holds on to the ball maybe a little bit longer than those guys. So he's kind of allowing some of the pressure to occur, but he knows that coverage can't hold up as long. And so he's slicing and dicing deeper into the phase of the play. Joe Burrow was one of the players coming out of college who graded tremendously high under pressure and in in some of these categories where most quarterbacks don't perform as well. Exactly. And the, the under pressure throws to me is, is what I center on when I evaluate a quarterback. That's, I want to see that because there's so many other factors they can't control. That's know, how right. good the offensive line is, the receiver core, you know, the, the system that they're in sometimes is, but you want to see a guy with somebody in his face make that throw down the field. The guy may catch it, he may not. It doesn't make any difference. I just want to see that. And, you know, I'll tell you, to be honest with you, Kurt, when we evaluated Kurt Warner over in the Europe League, the number one thing that jumped off the tape was his ability to make these incredible throws under pressure. And that's yeah. why we were so committed to him. Oh, that's, that's good point, good. coach. And you're right. He, when you think about those yeah. kinds of metrics, uh, he is, Kurt Warner is sort of the model. Uh, he, I remember when you had him and how you used him. And now it's sort of how we really look at it and we view other quarterbacks through that same lens, right? The ability to get the ball out quick, to process and kind of understand where pressure is coming from, um, to speed up that process that we call progression. Um, Kurt was able to do that rather quickly. Instead of going one or two, he knew it wouldn't be there against a certain coverage. He knew to go to three and four right now. And that ball was out and happening. Um, and that's why that offense was so productive. When he was pulling the strings and calling the plays and getting it done, obviously you were calling the plays, but he was pulling the string on it. He, that offense operated at a whole nother level. And that's what coaches are looking for today. That's some of the things that we're looking for when we're grading. And obviously the accuracy part of it, because knowing where to go with the ball and then being able to get it there. Are you hitting it on the back shoulder um, and allowing that guy to get uh, tackled right there where he makes the catch? Are you putting it on the front side and allowing uh, a run after the catch? All of those things go into the evaluation process. But Solomon, there's part of that that you have to take into consideration when you look at this too, and that's a system failure. For instance, uh, some of these things when you're under pressure. Now, we had a lot of hot throws built into all the protections. where yeah. He knew that if he got blitz, he just put it over here, and this guy would look. And he knows this. if this guy comes, I have to look, and I have to break the rod off, all those things. So it was complicated, but it was built into everything that we did. So we always had a throw for him no matter what. That's not the case in colleges. That's, that's right. not always that's the case so in the true. NFL either. They're trying to block everybody. We never tried to block everybody. So you got the, you have the Peyton Manning deal. The guy up at the line of scrimmage changing protection. Go over here. You know we got red, red, red. We got blue, blue, blue. Da, 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 all that kind of stuff. We never did that. So if they load up over know? here, boom, get the ball out fast and play get the, the game ball fast. Out. Yeah, yeah. You guys had it built into your system, and you talked about did. college. What what makes it difficult, particularly when you talk about college? Here's a position that I tell people all the time, even when I, I remember working with Mike Mayock, we used to have this conversation. I said, you got to be careful now with some of these receivers coming out of college. Even this year when we said there's all these great, highly productive receivers coming out in the college draft this year. And I said, you guys just got to be careful. Look at some of the systems they play in. No because question. as you well know, Coach, remember you had a you – had, I just thought the world of Torrey Holt. I remember watching him as a rookie. I said, this guy gets it. He can sight adjust. 
He understands the what he needs to do. He knows that, okay, under, under a certain look, this is the route I'm running. Post-snap, if that coverage change, his route has to change. Right. Well, as you will know, in college, they're holding up some board with an emoji on it telling every every guy what to do, and they don't have some of those systems built in at the college level where receivers aren't sight adjusting. Now, if you're going to draft a receiver in the first round or high in the draft like you did with a Torrey Holt, and he's going to come and play in a system with a Kurt Warner, wouldn't you want to know if he understands sight adjustment post snap? Wouldn't you want to know that? <laughs> but you know that's but that's what's happened in college football too, Solomon. And it's regressed in terms of um, they the blitzes aren't as dramatic as they used to be. Like when Pete Carroll was in it, he, that's right. You know th- that's, that's why right. he was so devastating at SC. He was bringing some of the stuff that they'd never seen in college before. Right. What has slowed that's that right. down is all this uh, no huddle offense. That's now right, it, it's hard to get the blitzes in, and they're exhausted. They just don't get there. So if you're not getting there with those blitzes, you stop blitzing, and that's kind of what's happened in college football. So you don't see those oh, adjustments yeah. you want to see. Yeah. You know, it's hard yeah. to evaluate them. On the, but when they do get blitzed, so what you're looking at is pressure. You know, with the four down guys. You know, the that's guys right. are getting. That's through. right. But the blitz pressure, you just don't see it anymore in college, and that's what's hard to evaluate. Yeah, because and and particularly when evaluating the receivers, they're not having to do any of that stuff at the collegiate level. Well, no. when they get here and they get to the NFL level, you, I mean, you've got to be able to save your quarterback. If you don't remember Tom Brady last year, where the biggest frustration for Tom is he's sitting there expecting one thing, and the receiver still got his back turned trying to trying trying to run a route on air. <laughs> well, that's, and that's solid. That's what I was talking about when I say system failure. There's, there's somewhere in there where the quarterback's way, way down the road further than the, the receivers that are coming in. There has to be a marriage there. And, that's right. And if the system may not be structured, you know, for instance, in some of these other teams, they just try to change the protection all the time instead of getting mm-hmm. the ball out quick. And that's. You know, in the NFL, that's that's it's hard to do. Yeah, you that's sit right. at the line scrimmage for hours. You know, it seems like tough. trying to change stuff. And now the linemen are back in their heels. Now you've made it difficult for them. So, yeah. And, yeah. and, and I, I, tell you, I tell you, Sally, that's why we formation shift. Because that's by the right. time we've changed the strength of the formation two or three times you and moved guys around, doing. we know yeah. what they're doing. And if you defensively, all the blitzes are based on strength of formation, all those zone dogs. If That's I right. change that two times and you can still get lined up and blink, God bless you. You know, it's not going to happen. <laughs> That's right. If I change that, you can still get lined up. God oh, that's right. You know, that's why we threw all those hot balls because they didn't yep. know. They would have the drop and the rush side on the same side. They're all screwed up. So we, so the quarterback knew that, and so what Kerr would do, he just a real quick throw over here. That's why yep. you saw some of these breakout catches where there's nobody around. Super Bowl, that's right? Marshall I, coming I, out of the backfield for 50 yeah. yards on a blitz. It just didn't account for him after we shifted. I loved, I loved your offense because it reminded me a lot of the stuff that Joe Gibbs did with the Washington Redskins, and oh, they were very intricate, and, and they had different, yeah. so many different personnel groupings. So many different motions and shifts. They were going to try to strip your defense down, and they made you think. I mean, you had to study before you played those Redskins teams during the 80s, early 90s, when they were still winning Super Bowls, except you guys are doing the same thing, but yet you went up-tempo with it. 
we you did. didn't give yeah. you didn't give us as much time to figure out, and you got the ball snap quicker, and you also got the ball out quicker, and that's where it really magnified the burden that you would put on the defense. It made it very difficult. One of the stats that I'm very very proud of, very proud of this stat is that with all the moving and shifting that we did. We still snapped the ball on average 11 seconds before the clock was out, which go. is the fastest in the league. That's and we right. had, and right. we had fewer, fewer, um, you know, uh, offensive uh, penalties. Uh, yeah, penalties than anybody. It's just a discipline thing, and they got excited about it because they knew by moving and shifting. The defense is on their heels, and all of a sudden, boom! The ball comes out, That's and we have right. all these big plays. So, and Mike, and that went against yeah. convention. Uh, that went against conventional thinking, didn't it? You couldn't it do all of that shifting and and motioning. I remember the Cowboys used to do a lot of that. That was, I'm talking back in the day now, in the '70s and '80s, and everyone thought that was wow, that was really amazing. But you did it in a no huddle fashion, in a hurry up tempo fashion. Well, Joe Gibbs is kind of was was really the father of it because he mm -hmm. really he would do it maybe twice. So what we did when we called in the huddle, we came out and they but we practiced this from the very first practice. If we would move and shift at full speed. And if it wasn't full speed, then we restarted practice. So practice was more difficult than the games from a conditioning standpoint. But here's what we always knew, Sally. This is when you looked at a defensive coordinator, yeah, and he's a real creative guy. Real creative, yeah, like Jimmy was up in, in Philadelphia and whatnot. They, That's if they're right. creative and they got new blitzes for you, you know you're going to have a good day. Because what <laughs> happens is if you put in a new blitz on defense and you, you can only adjust it and show it against so many offensive sets. So we would come up with these sets that we hadn't shown before with per different personnel groupings, and they had a heck of a time getting lined up. So they, I remember playing Philadelphia, and it was third and 15, and – they had done everything against four and three wide receiver sets. We put a, a generic, you know, one tight end, two receivers, two backs in there, and they couldn't get lined up. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. You, you had to have some really smart guys on defense to be able to match up to what you guys were doing. Again, um, if you compared it to the Joe Gibbs kind of deal, you were going to give them multiple personnel groupings with multiple formations. Yeah, so you you had to really have if as a defender you had to have some smart guys over on the other side, and the volume that you would give up it was just too much for one player, right? To to really be able to keep up with all that, particularly when you talk about you throw that tempo in there, the fast paced tempo that really uh, placed a tremendous burden on the defensive players to have to think through all of that and still get lined up to play. Well, think about this, Sally, on the sideline during timeouts. Now, this was my favorite. This was my favorite thing to do. During a timeout, what's the defensive coordinator and all the assistants doing? They're looking at the sideline over, they're looking at and in the mm -hmm. huddle, who's in, right? Mm -hmm. I would change personnel groups during that timeout maybe five times. <laughs> That's dirty. Nickel, two <laughs> tight ends, goal line, Rager, deuce personnel, back to nickel, you know, and and he's and they just finally they would just wait until they're – because they have an advantage during the timeout. If you put them all out there, they know what you're in, and they can go to work with you a little bit. So we we always would mess with them, so to speak. <laughs> you know, I, you would think that – and this conversation started with analytics there from Pro Football Focus. And, you know, we would bash numbers quite a bit. I know I have in the past because numbers always – 
did certain things and some of the things you could make them do that weren't realistic. But after hearing you talk, Solomon, now I, I think that's a new age now. And you guys have hit on something, something different. Well, we greatly appreciate it, and uh, thanks for having me on to come on to talk about it a little bit. Um, we just think it's, you know, you know our game continues to evolve. It continues to morph into something, uh, but it, it really does uh, play on, on the true fundamentals of things that have always been there, and, and that's, that's really what our game is also all about. Um, we believe that there really is nothing new. It's always been there. You just have to dust it off. Um, uncover it a little bit. Yeah. And there comes a generation, as Coach will tell you, who never seen some of the offensive plays like what Andy Reid did in the Super Bowl when he used the full house backfield. And you could go to Fritz <laughs> yeah. Chrysler at the University of Michigan back in the 1940s where he gave a, a play that hadn't been run in the NFL in a very long time. And they were able to score on it. And so that's what you have – the. The ability to innovate sometimes is just going back to old fundamentals. And we believe that PFF have tapped into something and be able to unearth things that's always been there, but people just quite didn't see it before. That's right. Well, we know you got a hard out, man. We're going to let you go. You're you're in demand. You've got to get to this show and this podcast and a whole bunch of other things. But, brother, we appreciate your time. And it's always fun talking football. Mike Martin. Solomon Wilcox and myself, and you can't beat that now. That's that's football all day long. All we right, thanks, it, Ron. Thank, all right, thanks, Ron. Thanks, Coach. Take care. So good to talk to you, Solly. Thank you. All right, Solly. Thank you. Take care, man. All right, Coach, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Run It Again after this message. Hey, it's Jesse Cage, and this week, we welcome one of professional wrestling's most prolific high flyers as Matt Seidel jumps in the first match time machine. We only had a couple matches before. My brother's friend, my older brother, he's like two years older, uh, he's a little bit more mature, and he thought it was a great idea just to go ear to ear and just gig himself <laughs> wide open like a maniac. Uh, so my parents promptly shut down the backyard fed. Get the rest of that story and more on this week's episode of First Match, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Run It Again is an inside look at the players, the coaches, and the business of sports with former NFL star and broadcaster Ron Pitts. And two minutes later, I was back in the same Oklahoma drill that I got the concussion from. And the mastermind behind the greatest show on turf, Coach Mike Martz. And we want to force him into a vanilla defense and go to work. Run It Again is a hard-hitting, no BS podcast that connects you directly to the source. This is Run It Again. Welcome back. Here's Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Mars. Be sure to join them every Tuesday for a new episode of Run It Again. Thank you again to Solomon Wilcox. That was uh, that was great information there. So, Mike, moving forward, uh, this is that day that has been anticipated for such a long time, the, the official opening of training camp, NFL training camp today. And a lot of things to cover uh, just, just off the top of the, the schedule. Okay, as it was uh, put forth in a memo by the NFL, you know, the players, the first two days of of this week and this week really is just going to be about testing, getting everyone tested for COVID-19 and getting everyone in position. But the general rules are before a guy can even walk through that training camp facility door, they have to clear two tests. They have to be negative for two tests 
And at that point, they are allowed to start training. Right. Makes sense, right? It does. Yeah, I mean, it does. And I think I, it's, I, uh, I think it's uh, the first day they get there, they're tested, and then the second day they're tested. And if, they, right. if it's negative both days, then they're, they're free to go. Uh, right, right. Exactly. Okay, so the reason they're doing that is we talked about this last week. There's this non-football and football-related injury thing. If you have a non-football-related injury, uh, the teams typically will not pay you, okay? If you're out screwing around on a jet ski like you, you mentioned and jumping off buildings and paragliding and all that stuff, they're not covering that kind of stuff. But if it is a, a football-related injury, that is completely different. So right. once you have cleared those first two tests and then you walk through the door, okay, now if you get the virus, that is considered a football-related injury. Correct. But – if something happens and they they in their memo, they made it clear if you uh, contract the virus in other what they call high risk conduct activities. And I'm just going to name a couple what they call high risk conduct areas, things like indoor nightclub with more than 15 people, indoor bar with more than 15 people other than picking up food. Uh, an indoor house party with more than 15 people, uh, indoor concert, entertainment event, et cetera, with more than 15. 15 seems to be the, the catch number here. A professional sporting event other than an applicable, applicable NFL game or event with more than 15 people. Okay, that's interesting. And an indoor religious service attended by more than 25% of the venue's capacity. Those areas are considered high risk conduct areas. Yeah, I don't. How did they? How did they arrive at fifteen? The number fifteen. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, you could be in a, you could be at the house. You could be in a very small room with fifteen people, and or a large room with fifty. I just, you know, so much of this COVID thing. Uh, I guess I probably keep quiet about it, but um, no, please don't. Yeah, I think they're just covering their butts on this, to be honest with you. Uh, I guess that's – I think the biggest issue is it's just like anything else. If you sign a big contract and in that contract uh, with that money they give you up front, if you go and do something really stupid, uh, they'll come and get that money back. You know, uh, we had a a player at Detroit did that. I won't give you his name and circumstances, but they went back and recovered the entire signing bonus. Yeah, which mm-hmm. is millions and millions of dollars. I won't mm-hmm. tell you who it was and all that, but it's, that's in there. And they have that legal language. This is just reaffirm it as being part of the COVID watch, so to speak, that if, you, if you're out in a group of people that you have no knowledge of in terms of their testing as, as opposed to in the facility, uh, then you're risking yourself and the risk and everybody else. So they're – and it's good. I mean, it's it's the right thing to do. They're just trying to protect themselves, and rightfully so. Right. And, and the, the line about a professional sporting event, other than an NFL game or event with more than 15, is questionable. So if the, if it's an NFL game with 20,000 spread out outside of the first five rows, then I guess it's okay. But it's something else like that. Big- Big time wrestling, no Ron. They can't go see big time wrestling. They can't go. Can't go see that. Stuff. Right. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Got that. And also now, if so, what's becoming big is 
And I, when I mean big, I'm talking about within the last 24 hours, the numbers are starting to increase for what they call opt-outs. These are guys that if they notify the league before a certain time in writing, that player is has permission to, in essence, not play. He is saying, I am not going to play this year and you can't hold it against me legally. But what the league can do and they are doing is that if you voluntarily opt out, they will give you $150,000 in an advanced form of next year's salary. And they're calling it a stipend. And if you opt out because of a pre-existing condition of, of some sort, like let's say uh, you have diabetes or diabetes in the family, um, you have a, a high BMI, extremely high BMI and other at-risk physical factors, then you are allowed to opt out because of a medical condition. And that's totally different from a money stipend standpoint. Uh, the amount is now 350000 right. that they will give you in terms of a stipend for that year. And to my knowledge, and I, I don't have it in front of me, uh, they get credit for that year, don't they, towards no, your right. retirement? Absolutely, yeah. Mike. I'm, I'm, they keep I'm their insurance right and all here. that stuff. Sort of, yeah, they keep their insurance. They get credit for the season. And uh, it, it also counts as a year off their contract. Is that correct? So if a guy is – Maybe he's in the third year of a four-year deal, then he's in his contract year that next year as opposed to restarting it. Or is, am I wrong about that? I, I, I don't know. I, I do not know the answer to that. But to your other question, you, you were dead on. He will receive, and I'm just reading here, quote, unquote, that player will receive an accrued season, I'm sorry, an accrued season toward free agency and a credited season toward player benefits and minimum salary. So that answers the question. With the yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. So they're right there. Yeah. Yeah. So they can, they, in other words, if they're in, like you said, if they're in the third year of a four year contract, then next year they'll be in their fourth year. It doesn't revert back to the third year. So that's good. Right. Right. So, I mean, that's, and that's the right thing to do. By the league. I, yeah, I like I, that. Yeah. That's you have to give guys a chance. But so what, what we're seeing is happening, and again, I'm just going to read off this list just so I, I get it right. As of this morning, I think the number was closer to 15 guys total and that, that have opted out, okay? And so that, that's changing every minute, and there's probably four or five guys, at least from the Patriots, Marcus Cannon. Uh, Brandon Bolden opted out. Dante High Hightower opted out. Just to name a few. Hightower, high-profile guy. He's he's set to make eight million this year, and he is he is opting out without a medical condition. So he's saying, "Hey, give me my one hundred fifty thousand dollars stipend because, as he pointed, I, I I just became a father for the first time. I've got a newborn here, and he he's weighing his options, Mike." Yeah, yeah. I just wow. I understand why he would do it. I just hope that the information out there about this COVID thing is accurate. Uh, mm. well, but we're gonna we're gonna see when this is all over with. There'll be some major questions. I, I get where you're going with it because I'm already there. Yeah. When guys make <laughs> <Good>. life <laughs> when when they make life changing moves like this, 
or, or life altering moves like this. This is, you know, you can't get that year back. You can't, you can't go back on that. And I get what you're saying. I, I, I really do. There's and a certain a amount of hysteria to this that is not warranted, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, less than one half of 1%. And I, you know, we can get into this and I know it'll upset a lot of people, but uh, there's just, it's highly contagious, et cetera, but it is not a death warrant. Uh, at least it hasn't been for healthy people. So, uh, and that, you know, I was reading again this morning that there's some things out there that have been very, very successful. It just, the, the information, unfortunately, out there, you just don't know what to believe. You know, so much of it is, right. you know, uh, politically motivated, et cetera. So it's, it's really hard to make a decision like he's making about his life and his, his child, et cetera, that, uh, you know, what's he basing it on? You know, and, and all you can do is from what the experts are telling you. Yeah. And the league obviously understood that there was going to be this issue, so they they made concessions. I again, I, uh, I part of me applauds them for that, really, because it takes guts. Uh, it, it does, yeah, it does. It, it really does. They say, listen, we we understand the sensitivity of this this thing here, regardless of what you believe medically or politically or whatever. And so, hey, here's your choice, and you can go this way or you can go that way. You know, so another if, thing happened. Oh, I'm sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Uh, well, let me before we leave that. Let me ask yeah. you this. So then, if he's not gonna, if he's gonna opt out, what's that do to the cap? Can they go replace him? So that eight well, million dollars for a for one year, can they buy a bunch of players for one year to replace him? Kind of like the strike years with scabs. Yeah. Well, so you to know, speak, right now, now they've got room of eight million dollars. They're obviously. With five players, that's a lot of players. That's a lot of cap. So now yeah. uh, you have to replace them. But do you get that cap room then for that year? Uh, what kind of exemption does the club get for that? So in other words, can you go out and sign five more guys or maybe 10 more guys for what they're paying them, right? And yeah. then is it just a one-year deal? or I mean, what are the concessions that – because obviously these clubs have got to be able to replace them. And where the, there is a cap number there, and how many players can they bring in? And they're not going to bring another guy in for eight million dollars. Obviously, maybe they bring three or four guys. No, so maybe you bring three or four, right? Yeah. Right. So how how does that work with the cap? I guess is my question, and that's that information, to my knowledge, is not out there. Yeah, and you know how we talked about how the league has a habit sometimes of not necessarily writing a new check, but they move money from one pile to the other. Right. Well, they're they're doing a little of that here. They're they're saying there will be no reduction in the 2020 players' salaries or bonuses if there is a complete NFL season. Okay, so if they go the whole season, then they won't make any uh, adjustments there. 17 million in 2020 approved player benefits have been canceled, however, including. The second career savings plan, the tuition assistant plan, these are and playoff bi week pay, which these are all things that had been approved in the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement that was just passed a few months ago. So that's what I mean by some of that money being moved from one pile over to this pile. So they just froze that 
and and regressed it back to what it was in the past. It just did. They'll restart it. That's right. Uh, when the season's over with, and that's I I I understand that. I don't blame for doing yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can says that here. Yeah, the the benefits will be repaid to the players. Sure. And, and new benefits after twenty twenty three. Right. So. So that's uh, that's where that is at, and uh, this is gonna this is gonna move forward one way or another. This is gonna be a developing story. We'll keep an eye on. Now, something happened in baseball that I, I think is worthy of keeping an eye on. The Miami Marlins canceled their home opener after fourteen players tested positive over the weekend. Okay. And the first thing I thought of, well, how in the heck are 14 guys on a team testing positive in a sport that's made for social distancing by yeah. alignment alone? <laughs> the outfielders are 35 yards away from the infielders. The infielders are 15 yards away from the pitcher. The pitcher is 90 feet away from the catcher. Right. Well, there has to be a common denominator in there somewhere. How did they get it? Where did it come from? Did, have they traced it? or <laughs> Have they traced I, it? No, the, no information has been released on that. It, they, they just said over the weekend, they, they knew before their final game, I believe on Sunday, that there, there was, uh, that the tests were positive. They knew, okay? So they finished the game, and then they made the announcement uh, you know, just uh, yesterday moving forward. So, oh, yeah. Now, now, now that's okay, and you've got a lot less guys, obviously, in baseball. And you're talking in football. But if they're having trouble, if this becomes a pattern, now what is football looking forward to? What happens there? Well, I think, Ron, it's just like anything that's happened in the past, like 9-11, I think they can reschedule some of those games at the end of the year if need be yeah. or reschedule them at a bye week if their bye weeks coincide, right? So yeah. I think maybe they'll – I'm sure the league has thought about that and, they, and maybe they just – you know, you know, cancel it completely. I don't know, but they'll try to replay it at know. some point. I'm yeah. sure they will. They don't. They're not going to lose that game. They'll do whatever they can to replay it. Right. Right. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on that, and hopefully, that kind of spread, that exponential spread, doesn't happen in in the NFL because that could that can make things a lot more difficult. So yeah, it, it sure does. We'll keep a, keep an eye on that. All right, Mike. That's it for us. You go out and enjoy that sunshine and clean air up there. And that's it, man. We will uh, we'll do this again next week. As always, thank you, Ron. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. A huge thank you to my good friend and guest, Solomon Wilcox. That was a lot of fun. Hey, don't forget to visit us on runitagainpodcast.com and make sure you hit that subscribe button. Now it's time to turn the mic over to you, our listeners. Got a question for me and Coach Marks? Just send us an email at runitagainpod at gmail.com or you can leave a question on social media at runitagainpod. Be sure to join us next Tuesday as we answer some of those emails and social media questions and also examine the start or no start of college football. Just remember, we're two old pros trying to make you think a little. Be safe and stay healthy, everyone. 
run it again with Ron Pitts and Coach Mike Martz, a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network's production. Executive produced by Roy Hamilton, producer Ted Woods, and technical engineer is Kevin Horton. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Run It Again Podcast.